Hello, and welcome to Spring Office Hours, episode number 41, From Monolith to Microservices, featuring Nate Chuda. My name is Dan Vega. I'll be your host today. Along with me, not as always, as new, yeah. is my good friend, Nate Chuda. Nate, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Dan. I really appreciate it. You know, I... I... I, I, I don't know as an architect, you know, just how much I can bring to the table, certainly compared to Deshaun. I, I hold a, a very dim candle next to Deshaun, but I'll do my best to, in, well, to Deshaun, yes. keep it warm Deshaun, for him. Deshaun is out this week. He is on vacation, so we had to fill his seat. And you could bring a lot to this discussion. We were talking about microservices last week. And I said, wow, yeah. we should really continue this discussion with somebody who's actually written books on the subject. So... Uh, yeah, we can definitely uh, get into that. So today we're going to get into that. We'll talk a little bit later about, um, you know, moving from monolith to microservices. We'll talk about hey, how to kind of determine if it's a microservice. So before we get into that, we have some things to get into. Go ahead and get your questions in. I know if you're uh, listening to this on the replay or on the podcast, you can't do so. So if you want to and you want to join us live every week, go ahead and head over to uh, springofficehours.io, and that will uh, take you to our landing page. You can kind of check out all the past episodes along with what's upcoming. Uh, so with that out of the way, again, get your questions in if you are here on the live show, and we'll see if we can get to answering them. So, Nate, uh, I know you pretty well at this point, but our audience may not. If they don't know the great Nate Shuda, Nate the Great, uh, that's a little inside joke if you watch that one. Um, Nate, if they don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You bet. So I usually describe myself as architect as a service, which I've included here as my tagline today. And, and I, I think that's a pretty fitting definition of what I do. You know, go places, talk to people, mostly about architecture, cloud, things of that nature. Although I will admit, I did sound the acronym out in my head the first time someone called me that and realized it may not have actually been a compliment. So, yeah, just if you think it through, it'll, it'll come to you. Yeah. But no, I, so I, I've been doing software a long time. You know, I've, I've sort of inhabited this architecture space for a decent chunk of that as well. And, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely played around with Spring quite a bit. I've written a lot of Java apps. You know, that's been my primary language most of my career. I've been doing that longer than I care to admit. Uh, I've actually done some, some training on Spring with, with Jakob. He and I have done a few few bits here and there. And, and, and you and I have been known to, to even delve into that space. Uh, yep, yep. So, you know, I, I get around Cool. So you've also written a couple, well, you've written a lot of things. I know you've written some guides, some books. Uh, you're all over the map with uh, the amount of things that you've written. Um, what, what's kind of, so, so kind of stepping back, you've written some books. What got you into like mm -hmm. writing books on the subject? Oh God, that's an excellent question. So back in the day, I met this good friend of mine, Nathan Good, first time we were on a project together. And, and he and I would go get coffee most mornings. And one day we're at our, our one of our, our local Caribou, and he just sort of casually mentions that he spent a lot of time at Caribou while he was writing his book on regular expressions. And I thought to myself, wait, like, but you're just a normal dude. I know you <laughs> and you wrote a book. And I thought this is very interesting. I didn't, I didn't even think that was like a thing, right? Right. And, and so that kind of got me into that mindset of, well, yeah, you can write books. And, and so he sort of helped me get started on that path. I had another friend of mine who introduced me into sort of the IBM developer works space, if you can remember that from back in the day. Yeah. And so I wrote a few things for them. And around that time, one of my, my friends, colleagues, the person I went through sort of my first job with, 
ping me and he's like, Hey, actually he was over at our house. He came over to our house for dinner, him and his family. And he's like, so I've been meaning to talk to you about this, but would you, would you be interested in being a co-author on a book? I'm, I'm doing this thing on Ajax. Like nobody's writing about it and it's super <laughs> cool. And I think you could, you know, and some, yeah, sure. Why not? I can do that. And so, so he and I co-wrote one of the first books on Ajax, whether it was the very first one sort of depends on. Wow. You know, that's something I actually did not know about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fundamentals of Ajax is hiding on that shelf back there somewhere. <laughs> and, and that sold really well because Ajax was brand yeah. new. No one was doing it and, and it yeah. was pretty exciting stuff. And so that kind of launched that whole concept of, okay, I can write books. I parlayed that into speaking at user groups, universities, things of that nature, started speaking on the No Fluff Just Stuff tour. And that kind of snowballed from there, to, to put it politely. And yep. I, I will say, having written a handful of books, it is one of those things. It's kind of like, honestly, having a kid. When you go through the process, you're like, you know, you remember those days when they're not mm. and you're getting four hours of sleep, you know, hopefully, if you're lucky, and they're crying, and it's not a lot of fun. You're like, I never yeah. want to do this again. Yeah. And forget about and then it. then you do. Right, exactly. And <laughs> books are very similar. You know, and, and normal people, it takes a long time unless you're like Venkat. Venkat can just sort of like <laughs> think out a book. And Venkat's unique in that most of us read a book to learn about a subject. Venkat yeah. writes a book to learn about a subject and right, right. sort of puts it backwards. In my he just opinion. like but takes a one week, two week break during Christmas and turns out much. a book. <laughs> pretty much. Yes. I have literally seen him do that where he has, you know, like a client thing falls through and he has a couple free weeks and <laughs> a book appears a couple of weeks after that. So he's remarkably lifelike. Yeah. So there, there's a couple things I want to unpack from that. First off, um, Every, I think everybody hears that like there's not a whole lot of money in writing tech books. Correct. But even what I what I heard from your story was you parlayed that one, you know, co-authoring a book into maybe another book and then to into all these speaking engagements mm -hmm. and all these opportunities. Would you say, you know, for anyone out there who's interested in writing a book, obviously there can be some money involved. But if you're mm -hmm. doing it for the money, you're doing it probably for the wrong reasons. Right. But from what I hear, like that's that may not be a bad thing. Like there are so much more opportunities from right. kind of getting yourself out there. Would you agree with that? Thousand percent. It, it's it's indirect income, I guess, if you want mm -hmm. to think about it that way. And it, it tends to be one of those very nice things to put on the proverbial resume. It yep. does tend to lend some cachet to that. It certainly doesn't hurt when you're applying to speak places, and and it. it definitely help sort of round that out. You know, the, the book economy has been very strange, especially in our space. There was a brief, and I mean very brief period where you could make a lot of money on a technical book if it hit at the right moment. You know, right. I, I have friends that were in the right place at the right time. And one of them, I remember he was telling me that, that he got his first royalty check and it was, I think it was more than his annual salary was at Sun at the time. And wow. he thought, wow, this, this writing thing is great. I'll just do that, you know, write a book a year, <laughs> make more money than I was before. And you know, then obviously like the next book's like, yeah, we don't, it doesn't sell, you know, or it doesn't yeah. sell as much. And, right. You know, so yeah, you do not, at least in our space, write books with the intention of making lots and lots of money. Yep. Sadly. Yeah. The other thing I want to unpack from that, and I've learned this from creating content, whether it's YouTube videos or courses online is you mentioned something earlier that was like, well, well, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. And you want me to write a book. And, and I, we have to remember that like, 
I always picture I don't know remember I don't know who showed me this like meme, but it was um it was like the aisle at the grocery store where you see just the entire aisle of water. How are there 15 different brands of water in the same aisle and right. they're all selling? They all right. have something unique. It's still just water, mm -hmm. but the way they package it is different. Uh -huh. And I always go back to that when when somebody says, well, somebody's written a book on spring or somebody's done a course on spring boot. Like Sure, but they don't have your perspective on that. And I think that's right. what makes it unique. So don't ever let that kind of discourage you from making content, whatever form mm -hmm. that may be on a particular subject. Would you would you agree on that as oh, well? Oh, very much so. I, that's that's an excellent point. You everybody brings something to the table. And yeah. just because you think, oh, this is too basic, nobody totally disagree. I, I've been playing around a lot the last month with an app to kind of scratch my own itch. And there's been plenty of things that I have struggled to find online. And I think it's because it's too basic. You know, I mean, there's some things that I was this close to pinging you about, you know, over the weekend. <laughs> I thought, no, I'll just let Dan have his weekend. But, you know, you think about some of that stuff, you have a point of view, you might see something that other people don't, or, right. you know, I've talked to Glenn a lot about this. When you look at open source contributing, there are so many times where just fixing the documentation can be very useful. I was mm -hmm. just working through something over the weekend and I put the command in and says, oh, yeah, that's not a valid flag. And I'm looking at this one. I'm taking this right out of their documentation. Like literally, I, <laughs> I click the little copy button and then I change the thing that's me. And, and, and you're telling me this doesn't work. This is your documentation that, that was written in May, not, not right. written five years ago. Like this is right now. And, and right. so that's the kind of stuff that can be incredibly helpful to feedback into the system because a lot of times folks don't notice that or if the people who are experts on it they just roll right through it they just well of course this is how you do this basic thing everybody knows that and they don't yeah. realize that actually no I, I don't know how that works and i yeah i can't seem to find it when i google so thanks yeah yeah and i you know something that's always kind of stuck with me too is you don't have to be an expert on something you just have to be one step ahead of the person that you're teaching so right. I'll take golfing as, a, as an example. We've been talking about golf lately. I've golfed a whole two rounds in my life now, two rounds. But there. I, there is still something I could offer to someone who has zero rounds right. that you may not be able to offer because you've been golfing for years. And some of right. the, the absolute basics of like how to drive a golf cart may like, may like come second nature to you, right? Yeah. They're yeah. just like, you just have to be one step of whoever your target audience mm -hmm. is. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's something that everybody should remember. So, Well, and I think the voice thing is a really good point too, Dan. You yeah. think about how many podcasts there are out there and a lot of them are very popular, but they're popular with a given audience and mm -hmm. that may or may not work for you. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with I feel like talking about this topic this way or covering it in sort of from this perspective, I think that's right. fantastic. You, you know, yep. you'd be surprised at the audience that you could find and, and it may not be, you know, millions of people, but that's, that's okay. You know, right. I always look at it anytime I give a presentation, if I've helped like one person in the audience, if I've answered yep. one question or given them one tool, one tip, one trick, I've done my job. And, right. and that that's enough for me to feel like this was, was a valuable use of my time. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great approach for anyone going to a presentation because I take that approach too. Like, I'm not going into an hour presentation thinking like I'm going to consume a book, you know, this person's 20 years worth of knowledge into this mm -hmm. one hour talk. But if I can like learn one little trick in an IDE or one little tool that I've never used before, I've gotten my, I've gotten something. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. So um, just want to thank everyone here for joining us. We got a ton of comments here. Uh, hello to our friend Simon. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Hello. Architect as a service. Nice title. Indeed. Uh, nice shirt. Nice T-shirt, Dan. Trying to snag one myself. I got yeah, this I, at I, DevNexus. I, I kind of like names. You on, yeah. I, I try. I try. I, I, I certainly need to figure out where you're getting some of your, your gear. I, I know... Last time you and I on a virtual thing together, I'm like, where'd you pick that up? And it was like, oh, yeah, these are hard to get. So that I Nexus really... was a haul for me. I just went to every booth and said, I need, right. I need some, I need some t-shirts. So, um, cool. Simon says, always interested in both of your thoughts on Spring Modulus. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting project uh, that I haven't had a chance to check out yet, but um, definitely a cool one. Um, Hello, first of all, thank you guys so much for the office hours. I'm watching all the past episodes to catch up with everything. That's awesome. Our good friend Jitter Ted. Jitter Ted, I cannot, well, Ted is as he's known. Uh, I can't wait to see you in KC. Uh, we're all, Nate and I will both be in KC, so we're Heck looking yeah. forward to that. That's, whoa, man, that's like three weeks away. It's not that far it? away. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I guess I guess I should get ready for that. <laughs> I was going to ask you over Slack if you'd booked your tickets yet. I was, I was poking around I, with her today. I actually did uh, book everything on Friday, so I'm okay. booked. F I have a whole bunch of things going on in June. I'm like ev right. somewhere every week, so I booked everything on Friday so I can get, okay. get that set. We, we should compare notes when we're done here. Off, off we, we should do that. Sounds good. Um, what if you're working with legacy code? Can I change old Spring Forever code to call new Spring Boot microservices? Sure. I mean, if you have an existing app that's calling to microservices, sure. Should we upgrade technology, containerize, or create microservice first? Those are mm -hmm. let's let's start that and come back to that when we when we get on the topic of that. Um, that sounds like an it depends. It does, and nobody likes to hear that, but it's the uh, it's the right answer. <laughs> Regarding t-shirts, Dan, you and Deshaun need to make one that says it depends. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine has one of those. He he went on I don't remember which website, you know, but. But he had one created, and I I have asked him if he would you know run one for me. But I guess I could just go out and do it myself. But I, I definitely need one of those. Deshaun and I say that a lot on this show. So mm -hmm. yes, uh, mm -hmm. we could definitely we could definitely have one of those. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need to do, Dan. We just the three of us need to pool and just make a run of, of a handful. Yeah. So that we've got them. Yeah. We, maybe we could that. uh maybe we could sell some. <laughs> I'm I'm down for merch. KCDC, woo! Oh man, I can't wait. That's I can't um, wait for the food, man. It's such good barbecue. It, uh, that restaurant we went to last year had like some of the best barbecue ever. That was amazing. See, I, um, I really enjoy getting people stirred up around that. You know, from from especially <laughs> from you know sort of North Carolina, South Carolina, anywhere in there. Yeah. You're like, well, you know, I hear the best barbecue. Or you know, Texas, <laughs> another great place to do that. You, I anytime I'm in Texas, I like to kind of throw that like, well, you know, uh, I heard the best barbecue, and then you wait for, oh no, that place is terrible. You got to go to this place. I'm like, what was the name of that? Where was it again? You know, oh, that's that has steered me correct on many. Occasions. I know, I know. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually going to be in. Well, when we compare notes, I'll show you. But I'll be in a day early because we, uh, Deshaun and I, are doing a training on getting started with Spring. Spring. So, Heck yeah. well, and they've actually moved that the the workshop day to before the conference now. Okay. When in the past it's been after it, uh, right. which I like. I like the workshop day before, so that yeah. works out great. Um, but I'll be there till Friday. So <clears throat> cool. Those are all the comments. Again, if you are on the podcast, Ooh, I, um, I heard I heard Layla's gonna be there too. Layla is gonna be there. That's awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I got to check to see who else is going, but yeah, that's I'm going to see Layla twice in the month of June. I'm very excited. Twice. That's awesome. Oh yeah. We are all going to be in Detroit. Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got, I got Kansas city and Detroit and Kansas or Kansas city, Detroit, Pittsburgh and somewhere else. So nice. Okay, exciting you. month. Yeah. Should be a fun month. Um, again, if you're listening here on the podcast, I know you're probably, you're outside running or you're inside and running on the treadmill. Cause it's like 85 hey, degrees. You could now. be biking too. Come on now. I was getting to that or your bike. I, I, we just got some bikes over the weekend. I, I like the bike. Yeah. Uh, we got some Schwinn's like for okay. me and the, and the wife. And we okay. got one of those little carriers for the kids to put on it so we could bike around. Um, that was, that was fun. Um, I'll, that's for another story. Um, but yeah, if you're doing one of those activities or riding in the car to work uh, and you want to join us live, uh, go ahead and hit springoffsours.io and check out the schedule for that. So um, we've kind of gotten through some of our initial stuff. Uh, this is kind of where we kind of like to take a look at like what's going on in the community. So I'm going to go ahead and share out my screen. And I wanted to talk quickly before we get into some of the agenda stuff. I did want to mention your Thinking Architecture Architecturally book, um, which we will. Were we going to talk about that down here? Probably not. So I really did want to just get your insight. Is was this the was this the second book you wrote then, or uh, fourth? I think. fourth. Wow. Yeah, okay. So I'm fifth. very behind on my. It's all right. Chronological list of Nate Shooter writings. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, so what what kind of drove you into to writing this book? And what so, can someone expect from it? Because I see that you can you can download you can that this from for us. free. Yeah, from us, yeah, you can get that free. from us. It's on the O'Reilly cool. platform as well. Awesome. So this for me, I, I, I've spent a decent amount of my time talking about architecture, how it's different than being a developer, what it means to sort of think like an architect and how that differs from being a developer. And I've I've done a lot of these from developer to architect kinds of training. And and one of my long time, probably one of my most requested bits of content has been the talk that that this book was ultimately based on, or the the presentation came first called Thinking Architecturally. And it's about trade-off analysis and how we learn, how we keep up with what's going on in our industry, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of got to a point where I'm like, you know, I should probably put this into prose format because mm-hmm. presentations are great for the live aspect of me being there, going through the slides or watching the recording later. But some people consume information better in a written format. And so yeah. that was kind of my desire here was to have that prose companion that goes along with the presentation. So I put nice. that together and, and that's been fairly well received. There's been a lot of downloads of that over the, the years you know, and it, it, again, it captures a lot of my thoughts on what does it mean to be an architect as opposed to being a developer. I actually spent uh, uh, some time working as an enterprise architect. I really Ooh. could have used this book. I wish I would have went through it. I think we need to have you back on the show and talk about just this because this Love could it. be this could be a topic in in and of its own. Because I feel like I was in that position too. A lot of developers are like, "Well, I've been." A senior developer for X number of years. I want to kind of transition into the next thing. One yeah. of those options would be an architect position. Mm-hmm. But how do I get there? What are the yeah. things I need to know? I would I would assume 
you have a lot of that knowledge already, but there's other things yeah. that you can learn to kind of propel you into that position. That That's great point that you bring up. And, and one of the things I was talking about with some friends of mine a couple of weeks ago with sort of generative AIs that are starting to crop up with chat GPT, et cetera, you know, there's, there's sort of those rumblings that, Oh, this will be the end of developers. Because just give a few prompts to AI and then AI right. will generate your code. Now I, I take any of those things with a huge grain of salt because we've Same. only been saying for about 50 years now, this will replace developers, you know, going back to COBOL, going back to four GLs, low code, no code, you yep. name it. Yep. Doesn't seem to have successfully replaced software engineers. Demand continues to outstrip supply, which is great for us. So I'm, I'm not uh, upset with that. Right. I suspect that this is a similar kind of thing. Now, that said, it may be very useful to sort of upskill, as they say, and start thinking about what is the next step in your career. Mm -hmm. and, and I do think that that's a useful thing for folks to be aware of is that you've got other opportunities. You know, you don't just have to code if you are interested in the bigger picture stuff. You know, it's a it's a fun space. It It's different, you know, and that's what I spend a lot of time talking to people about is here's how it differs. And here are the things that are not the same. You know, you don't get to code all day, every day, and you're going to have to deal with more of the politics of your organization and you know, spend more time in meetings than you'd care to. But it has some pretty <laughs> cool upsides, too. So it's it's all yeah. it's all trade offs. It depends. That's true. It depends. It really does. Cool. So yeah, like I said, maybe we can uh, tackle that in a future episode, but from now we will jump away from that. So a couple things on the agenda for today. I want to talk first about Spring One at VMware Explore. Um, I keep telling everyone about this every episode. I've not been asked to tell you about it. I'm telling you about it because I'm genuinely excited about it. Uh, Spring One is basically day zero at VMware Explorer. This is going to happen August 21st through the 24th in Las Vegas. Uh, a couple of really cool announcements on this front. June 6th, which is next week, the content catalog will be released, meaning, hey, if you plan on going to uh, Spring One or VMware Explorer, what is that content? What is the content going to look like at the conference? That is coming out next week. So you get a, get a head jump. If you haven't registered yet, Register now or check out that content next week and see if anything uh, sparks your interest. Um, on the second front, I've been given permission to announce that Nate and I will be at uh, Spring One at VMware Explorer, not just as attendees, but we will be speaking together. Uh, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about that, Nate? The embargo has been lifted, I think is yes, what you're saying, Dan. So it has I would say been. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to be doing a rendition of, of uh, spring recipes. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I think I think we're really starting to hone in on that. So yep. I, I think I think it's good stuff. You know, it, yeah. It's... So we, we started we started this presentation sometime last year. And mm -hmm. the idea behind it is there are so many different tools and projects in the spring ecosystem. And it's really just trying to make folks aware of like, hey, if I have a problem, how do I solve it with Spring? So we've done, every time we've done this presentation, it's been different, which, yes. is, which is, I think, what makes it unique because, you know, we, we talked about one day maybe doing like a Russian roulette style type of thing. Yeah. Here's the question. We can answer that, right? Um, but again, it, it's just various topics on like, if, if I come across this problem in Spring, here's how you can solve it. And I think it just tells, you know, it goes back to your... Um, comment that you made earlier if you can attend a presentation and find one thing that that like was useful to you then you think it's a success and 
I don't know how you wouldn't find one thing in a, in a, right. in a presentation like this where we're kind of all over the map, right? Right. So it's been a lot of fun. We've, we have so many different versions of this. We have a longer version of it that we're going to be doing later this summer too. But I'm excited for this one because it's in Vegas Yeah. on my birthday, by the way. Um, I gotta keep oh, going. boy. We're going to have to keep I, you reined in, aren't we? I got to keep telling people it's my birthday, so maybe they bring some T-shirts. I, I accept... Maybe. I accept T-shirt swag for my birthday. Okay. I, I wonder if, if that'll get you anything at any of the casinos. If if there's any. Probably not. But Probably I, not. I do take I do take swag. Swag. So, All, right. Yeah. All right. Even That's if it's free, up. it's not free to me. Uh, it's, it's real fine. good swag. It's fine. So, no, no, it's good. Stuff. So yeah, we're looking forward yeah. to that uh, spring one at VMware Explorer, and I know Deshaun and I have talked about doing some things there, like a live spring office hour session. We're also going to try and get like a little 5K together, which is going to be very, very early in the morning because yes. the desert heat. Nobody You'll wants melt. to run. No. Nobody wants to run in the middle of the day there. Um, and then maybe we should Nate, organize a golf tournament. As I say, Nate and I are really trying to get uh, on this golf thing, so maybe we can find uh, some other folks that that want to do some golfing. Again, going to have to be really early in the morning. Probably. Yeah, but luckily, but it's the dry heat. Uh, I don't care about that. It's hot. I love. I don't know. I, I I played golf in Jacksonville last July, brother, and I will tell you that dry heat uh, is preferable. I remember that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was a great conference, which I cannot find anymore. It just mm -hmm. disappeared. But yes, um, yeah, I, it's a dry heat. I love when people say that. I'm like, it's hot. I don't care yeah. what kind of yeah. heat it is. Um, but yeah, we'll have to do that early in the morning as well. But that they have some great great courses out there, from what I hear. So I'm interested in doing that. Oh, yes. So. This is all to say that we have a lot planned for Vegas. This is going to be a really fun conference, a lot to learn. Sp again, spring one is on day zero, but then there are spring sessions throughout VMware Explorer as well. So, And, and uh, I, keep, I keep hearing rumors that, that there are other plans afoot for not just you and I and Deshaun, but other members of our team. So my suspicion there are. is there could be some interesting things that are yet to be completely revealed I know of such things, but I that embargo has not been lifted, so I cannot say anything about that. Right, so we'll, we'll just <laughs> sprinkle that out into the universe. That yes. There's other there are, things to come. There are exciting things happening. So, um, Cool. So that's spring one at VMware Explorer. Register now. Early bird pricing is extended through June 6th. So get, get, get on that. Everything's on the sixth. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's funny when when you and I first started talking about spring recipes. I think there was a fear of are we going to have enough content? Yeah. And I know. and we very quickly dispelled that notion. And, and I know at this point we've got at least four hours at this yeah. this uh, pretty, point. Pretty I'm close. Pretty confident yeah. we could go even further if we needed to. So speaking of books. <laughs> um. All right. So. Another thing we like to do is kind of take a look at what's happening in the Spring ecosystem. I'm not sure if you were aware of this, Nate, but there is this wonderful website, calendar.spring.io, that shows you about all of the releases in the Spring ecosystem. Uh, usually we talk about what's happening this week and next week. It's pretty empty today. Uh, there is nothing happening today, um, and it's pretty yeah, it's late next week, week as well. It was a holiday weekend. I basically had a four-day weekend, even though I worked half a day Friday. Um, uh, basically, a, a long weekend. Everybody's kind of 
taken off, which is good. We need some R and R. It's been a busy month uh, of releases, so nothing to uh, talk about here on the release front. But if you're interested in finding out what's going on in spring, check out calendar.spring.io. Okay, next up, kind of around the web. Um, this is really just a chance to kind of talk about some of the things that are happening in um, the Spring ecosystem. And I have two quick blog posts I want to talk about. The first is Spring Authorization Server is on Spring Initializer. So this is pretty cool, pretty exciting. With the release of 3.1, there is now a Spring Boot Starter. Uh, so if you want to create an uh, application with Spring Authorization Server, there was a starter. Now it's on the initializer. So if you go to start.spring.io and you want to go ahead and create an authorization server, you can select it just like any other dependency. There's a really good blog post here from Steve Reisenberg that walks through how to get this done. Uh, so really talks about what authorization server is, how to get started. The just the leaps and bounds of how much easier this has gotten gotten to do since even like the 1.0 beta releases. I was just going through this the other day and it's just amazing. So really easy to get up and running with this. If a blog post is not your fancy, there is a really good live stream. Josh did uh, a live stream with, Josh Long did a live stream on his YouTube channel, Coffee and Software, with Steve Reisenberg, and they went through and they created a resource server, they created an authorization server, uh, they did some OAuth 2 logins. They went through kind of all of the steps of, of working through uh, creating this stuff. So um, check out that um, really great uh, example. Uh, a really great uh, live stream on all the features as far as Spring Authorization Server goes. Okay, before I get um, out of this, I want to just cover a few comments in the live stream. Uh, Nate, out of curiosity, have you used ArchUnit? Uh, not in anger, Simon. I certainly <laughs> have seen it used, and it, it for me, it fits into that category of sort of fitness function. And so one of the things that I, I, I learned this from, from Neil, Rebecca Parsons, things like that, Neil Ford, it, we spend a lot of time thinking about our architecture and trying to create this thing, but we don't spend enough time thinking about how to like maintain it. And as an architect, you can't be everywhere at every moment. You can't be involved in every decision. And so how do we make sure that our developers haven't broken some important key part of our architecture? And that's where tools like ArcUnit can be incredibly helpful because it, it gives you that ability to write essentially automated unit tests that make sure we're staying within those guard, guardrails, guidelines, you know, the, the, the illities that we care about for this particular application. You know, I think everybody's had that experience usually around performance where, well, the performance was okay, but then it slowly degraded over time and we never really figured out exactly when it got really bad, but now it's really bad and we got to go in and fix it. If we were running performance tests on a regular basis, we would hopefully see that and make corrective action before it got really bad. And so to me, that's where things like ArcUnit can be so useful is that it gives us that ability to make sure we're still meeting those quality attributes that are so important for the, for the architectures that we're putting together. Cool. Great question, Simon. Um, <clears throat> Here's a question from Diago. I'm trying to solve my cyclic dependencies. Uh, pro problem is that Spring notifies me only 
one by one. Any tips or thoughts on this? I'm solving them one by one, but I don't know about the size of the hole I'm in. <laughs> Couldn't find much about this on YouTube, Stack Overflow. Simon is weighed in. Uh, your IDE might support it. IntelliJ has a great dependency graph. So yeah, that that's one. Yeah, I know that if you like try to run your application in and like it errors out, yeah, it's gonna point out the first uh, dependency issue that it, that it sees. So yeah, you might want to be able to like find a way to to kind of show that graph, and then if you could visualize it, maybe it'll show you those things. So, um, all right. Yes. Do you know any of examples close to production without all of those things in memory? I don't know what you're talking about. Edgar, if you could be more specific, those we'll things. try and answer that. Maybe it had to do with the dependencies. Not sure. Okay, cool. Um, the other quick... Uh, let me go back to our screen share. The other quick um, link I wanted to share out this week was uh, this list of books I came across by Gene Boyarski, who is a Java champion speaker. If you've been at any Java conference, I'm sure you've seen her. Um, but she had this really great, I thought it was a good list because a lot of the lists of books that you see are um, like maybe getting started with uh, Spring mm. or getting started with Java. Like here's a really good books for the getting into Java, right? This book was becoming a better Java developer. So for me, this could be a developer who just started yesterday or has been doing this 20 years because no matter what, you're trying to improve your skills as a Java developer. So I thought I'd share this resource. We'll put this in the show notes along with everything else. But I thought I'd just talk through her her picks um, real quickly. So her five books, 97 Things Every Java Programmer Should Know, Collective Wisdom from the Experts, rounded up by Kevin Henney and Trisha G. Really great book. Again, uh, what I like about this um, kind of list of books is she goes into why, why I picked this book. Mm. Um, so that was a really good choice at number one. I thought this was a great choice at number two, oh, Working Effectively so with Legacy Code. Such a great book by Michael Feathers. It's over and, my shoulder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she makes a point here. Like, we almost all want to work on greenfield apps, right? But when you get into a position at work somewhere, like, that's hardly ever the case. You never get to. <laughs> right. So you have Legacy Code around. Even if you have greenfield apps, there's Legacy Code talking to it somewhere, right? And so this book gives you great techniques for working on such code bases. So if you haven't had a chance, check that out. Um, practical design patterns for Java developers. So the previous book was a 20-year-old recommendation. This one's brand new. Uh, she goes into saying about, hey, we used to use like the Gang of Four books, um, but this kind of dives into um, some other things as well as kind of how to use them um, you know, in kind of recent code bases, right? So pretty cool book there. Another great one, DevOps tools for Java developers. Um, in yeah. addition to Java, you need to know about the Java ecosystem. ecosystem. So even if you're not going to go into DevOps, this is still a great book because, you know, as Deshaun always likes to say, you, you may not, you not, you may not be the person responsible for getting your application to production, but I think it's really important to know how that application gets to production. So even if you're aware of these different tools and different procedures and how things get to production, I think it just helps kind of 
take the the black box out of it, right? Like I understand how it's working, even if that's not my job to do so. Um, so some really great book that goes into a bunch of different things there on that. And then finally, our friend Raju had first get uh, a learner's guide to understanding Git from the inside out. I know that is on your shelf as well because I've oh, seen yes. it on the shelf over there. Again, headfirst books are always fun. Uh, I I've been using headfirst books since since I started learning how to program, and he just does a great job of of going through Git. And I think again, even if you've been doing this a long time, there's probably something you can learn in this book about Git oh, yes. um, past the simple commands that we used to use. So yeah, I get the opportunity to tech review that book for Raju, and nice. I'm amazed at how many things I picked up, and I thought <laughs> I knew what I was doing with Git and. Right. It does an excellent job of explaining things that you, you've you've thought about and you're like, well, I don't quite get it, but it doesn't matter because I know how to work with it. And then he actually walks you right. through it. And like, oh, that's what it's doing. Okay. All right. 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 So cool. Those are the five books. Again, there are so many different lists that you can have, but I, I love the idea of this list is just becoming a better job developer. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that list, Gene. Um let me just head back over here. Let's see, we have a few more comments. I think everybody's kind of helping each other yeah. with some questions that are going on, which I love to see. Um, so we have some help going on here. Um, let me see what this is from Stig. If you have a software idea, how important is it to choose the correct architecture, mm. monolith, microservice, or other from the start? By the way, I am not a developer. Oh, interesting. Okay. that. So, I mean, I'm just going to say it depends. And what I mean by that, of course, is it depends how big we're talking the change is and how big the application is. So I've been working on this, this little app to scratch an itch and give me an excuse to play with some stuff. If I wanted to completely change something up there, it's not a big deal. It only impacts, frankly, me, my wife, my son. It, it doesn't have much of a ripple out effect. And it's not that big. I mean, I'm not even sure how many lines of code it is, but it's not like it's the most massive thing I've ever even remotely worked on. So refactoring that, changing that doesn't have much of an impact. If you've got an application that's been around, like, like let's say GitHub or something like that, that's been around for several years, it supports a lot of people, it has a lot of use cases. Now it gets a lot harder to make those changes. And, and it can be done. You know, there, there was a piece, I don't know if you ran into it, Dan, that came out of Amazon Prime. And the hot takes were, I think, unfortunate, but but they'd used Lambda at first, they'd used functions, and then ended up turning everything into dedicated instances and we're saving a lot of money doing it. And so yeah. hot takes received lambdas should never be used. You should never <laughs> use functions. Like, yeah, I don't think that's the right take here. Right. The right take is they made an architectural choice. They discovered it was the wrong architectural choice and they refactored, you know, to the yeah. correct architectural choice. You know, so, we talked about that article on the show. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it was funny, like how everybody had that, that same reaction, like, Oh, don't use lambdas now. Well, that's no use the right architecture mm -hmm. choice for the right job. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's one of the big challenges in our space is you've got to know when to pick up which tool. We've got a lot of options. We got a lot of different things we can use. And one of the things that makes this job challenging is that you've got to have some thoughts around, well, when should I use this versus that? Because there's so many ways you can get something done. And, and so to me, that's really what this, this speaks to, frankly, Stig, is that it's, it's important for you to think about, well, how is this going to be used? How is this going to be deployed? What are my scalability, you know, sort of considerations? What other quality attributes matter here? And then that will guide you down that path. 
But if you need to make a change, you need to be willing to do that and understand again what the cost benefit is for that. So yeah, it depends. And it, it does depend. It also, I, I think, I don't know for the majority, I, I can't make blanket statements because again, it depends, but mm -hmm. I think for the, for the majority of cases too, I feel like too many people spend too much time on what if down the road, like right. if you, what if we're the next Twitter? Well, if you are, you're going to be able to take care of that problem and fix it. Like, yes. Uh, yes. let's just worry about now. What is the MVP that we're trying to build? Let's get it out there. If you have scalability issues on that kind of platform, great problem to have. You'll have a hundred engineers fixing it for you. So don't worry mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. And again, I think people get too caught up in the what ifs, like yeah. think about those things, but don't oh, sure. ever think about them. <laughs> sure. And it's a fine line to walk Dan. You're absolutely correct. But we get too speculative and it's really hard to make predictions, especially about the future as that's been attributed to, I can't remember who Niels Bohr, maybe I don't remember who the attribution is on that, but you, you need to have a general sense of what you think the growth trends is going to look like, what kind of pressure you think that app is going to face. You know, the thing I've been working on for the last month or so, it's never going to have billions of users. It, it might have a half a dozen. So I can get away with some things that I couldn't if this was going to be a much bigger enterprise class application. But I've worked on enterprise applications that had less than 250 users. And so that mm -hmm. has a different set of constraints to it than if, oh, yeah, no, this is going to be we're targeting a billion people. That's what we're right. targeting. Like, OK, well, right. you better have different thoughts about that. This is going to be worldwide from day one. That's a different target than I'm going to use this for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, solve what's in front of you first. Yeah, we like to solve the future problem with complexity rather than the current problem more simply. And I would Amen. That's a great quote. Um, okay, so let's kind of get into the topic that we wanted to talk about today. And that really is uh, for breaking down a monolith into microservices. So I want to get into this guide that you wrote, which is still one of the most popular guides, I believe, on the Tanzu Developer Center. Um, but I want to get into that. But I do want to touch on the subject before we even understand that we need to break this monolith into a microservice. We have another topic, which is, should this thing be a microservice? And then we were talking before the show, and I think one of the, the biggest mistakes that we get into is, especially in a distributed architecture, is just hearing the kind of buzz about microservice and then deciding that, okay, we need to refactor everything into a microservice. or we have this new Greenfield app we're going to build. Well, everybody's talking about microservices. This should be right. a microservice then. And um, I wanted to talk about your responsible microservices book because this goes into to kind of that exact topic, where microservices deliver value, mm -hmm. when, to, when to decide on what's a microservice. So what are your, what are your thoughts on that subject? Yeah, that that's we tend to be so dogmatic in this space. And, you know, the older I get, the more I realize dogmatism tends not to end well. We really do need to be pragmatic. I see this a lot with technologies. A new thing comes out. Somebody has success with it. They blog about it. All of a sudden, there's a lot of buzz about it. Then becomes everybody needs to do this. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe not. You know, I mean, I you, you brought up Twitter earlier. We People talk about some of these these massive scale apps and they think, oh, we need to do that too. It's like, oh, are you a third of internet traffic? Wow, that's really <laughs> impressive. If you're not, then you probably don't need these things. And, and that's where 
it really behooves us to, to, you know, to paraphrase my favorite fictional chaos mathematician. They were so preoccupied with whether they could, your developers didn't stop to ask if they should, mm -hmm. you know, so should we use microservices? And, and to give you a sense of where this all came from, Matt Stein and I were locked in a windowless conference room with a client spinning around on this topic. And they were very much at the everything needs to be a microservice. And we managed to talk them off that cliff. You know, Matt wrote these principles up on the board. And, and so I said, hey, you mind if I blog about that? And he said, absolutely not. And so I put out a blog post and and that was, I think, I, I remember how they exactly titled it, but I think it was like, should that be a microservice? And my editor on that's like, hey, you should write more of these. I'm like, well, I, I did. It's, it's all there. He said, no, no, I want you to write one about each one of the principles. I'm like, okay. So I wrote <laughs> more of those. And then when I was done with that, I realized, well, I actually have a presentation here. And so that became presentation that I called Responsible Microservices. And I looked at it and said, hey, you know, I should probably have a prose companion to this, shouldn't I? And, and thus was born the report. And, and so nice. for me, this is all these reasons why we should use a microservice. And the idea is that if you have one or more of these needs, microservices might be really useful for you. Yep. If you don't need any of this stuff, <clears throat> uh, microservice is probably not the right approach. The application I'm building right now is a monolith because yeah. I don't need it to scale independently. I'm not worried about independent life cycles. I'm not worried about multiple rates of change. I am the developer on it. It's all in my brain with help from you and Deshaun and Jakob. And, <laughs> and I'm perfectly happy with that. You know, Now, in the future, if this grows into something more useful, more interesting, grows beyond what I have already, yeah, maybe I can, you know, might refactor parts of it out. But part of what I try to get across in in this material, when I talk to people about it is you can choose when to do this, right? When to pull this apart and not everything has to be a microservice. You can right. certainly use this where it makes sense. And this idea that we have to be, you know, absolutist and very dogmatic about this again, just does not end well for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think one of the, one of the biggest things I find too is, we, we associate microservices with distributed architecture. And there are many forms of distributed architecture and there are different reasons to use, you know, different architectural patterns. And I think everybody just hears microservices and goes, well, we need to split everything out and everything needs to have its own database because that's what right. microservices is. Right. Um, and that's not always the case. So mm -hmm. being able to, to understand uh, different distributed patterns and understanding um, through content like this, responsible microservices, when should it be a microservice? That's really the first step before we get into, okay, we have a monolith, we need to break it into a microservice. We really need to, to understand this before we get into that. Um, I had some comments in the chat um, from Simon, that's why I really like the Modulith project. It helps guide you in the right direction. Yep. So you can shift to microservices somewhat smoothly later on if needed. Start with the MVP. Jitter Ted said yes. Uh, our friend Glenn is here. Hi, Glenn. Can we modularize our monolith before going into microservices? Can we use utilize Spring Modulith to help modularize our monolith? Maybe we can work on that direction first. Mm -hmm. Completely agree, Glenn. So cool. That is um, responsible microservices. Again, I what I'm going to do is add some more links to the show notes. Um, we have talked uh, and on endlessly about some other resources that I wanted to mention. Uh, building microservices from Sam Newman. I know Sam's a good friend of yours as well. 
Mark Richards and Neil Ford have a couple books, one of which that, that I really got into when, when in my days of architecting, uh, the fundamentals of our software mm -hmm. architecture. Really, uh, we talked about your book as being one of those things to go into. If, if you're considering uh, getting into architecture, uh, I think this is another book that you should look at as well. Uh, just really breaks down a lot of the, the basic roadmaps, if you will, um, things that you'll want to understand. Yeah, um, I and use then that there's a new one. You do? Awesome. Mm -hmm. Actually, use both of those, both Neil and Mark's books with my grad students. Cool. Now, the second one I haven't read yet. Uh, it's on my shelf. I have not read it yet. Modern Trade-Off Analysis for Distributed Architecture. So this is more of an updated version on just kind of distributed architecture patterns, right? Yeah. So the, the, the challenge here, you know, is that so much of what we do in software, you can Google the answer. Yep. What is this error message? And, oh, okay, now I need to fix this. Although it doesn't always work as well as it should. <laughs> but then you get into architecture and you realize, how do you how do you Google that? You can't because right. there is no one answer. And that's really what what Neil and Mark mean by the hard parts here is that yeah. really architecture writ large, the things you can't Google. You know, so it's even the question that we, we just had, you know, should that be a microservice? Should that be a modulith? Um, yes, <laughs> you, you can't Google that. And, and, and that's part of the art of, of being an architect, you know, so yep, for that's, sure. that's what they're trying to get across in those books. <laughs> Until chat GPT can answer that question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe someday <laughs> I, I can't let you do that, Dan. And then we'll, you know, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think we should um, ask the folks at open AI to like answer that question. Like if somebody asks, mm -hmm. should my new application be a microservice? Just say no, mm -hmm. that should be the default mm -hmm. answer. Right. Right. So, and I, yeah. and I think, we, we didn't really answer that question, but I think a lot of the times when you, if you're asking yourself that question, should this new Greenfield app that I'm building be a microservice? If you have no experience building microservices and this is kind of your first foray into that, the answer is probably no, is it not? Yeah, generally uh, you must be this tall to ride, I think would yeah. be fair there. There's yeah. a lot of trade-offs with those architectures. They oh, tend to be lots. more complicated. Lot, they yeah. have, it's harder to debug, it's harder to reason about. And so if you don't need the advantages that you get from that distributability, right. it's really not worth the pain of going down that path. It's just going to make things harder than it has to be. And, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Is that you got to yeah. make the right choice for what's in front of you. And mm -hmm. if you know that this has to scale differently. If you know this is going to change at a different rate, you know, yeah, microservices might be really beneficial to you and give you some right. of that flexibility, but they all come at a cost, you know, and that's that's just the nature of the beast. You know, you, you can drive a really fancy sports car that barely seats two people, but where are you going to put your golf clubs, Dan? You know, that's, that's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I got some new golf clubs, so I got to put them somewhere. I do not have a right. fancy sports car, so don't worry. You've got young children. Um, That's how that works. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So I want to, now that we've kind of talked about, I mean, we've clearly just like hit the very top of the surface of choosing on whether or not it should be a microservice. But I wanted to get into this guide that you wrote for uh, the Tanzu Developer Center called Breaking Down a Monolith into Microservices. So now that we've kind of discovered that we want to break down this monolith into a microservice, here's some really good kind of um, a guide or a walkthrough on what you should do here. So one of the things that, um, that you really 
kind of jump into right away is perhaps you've uh, noticed more copies of Eric Evans' domain-driven mm -hmm. design. Um, for folks that don't know about that, is this something that this is a really this is an older book still? This is it like is twenty some years old now, still on yeah. everybody's shelf. Uh -huh. Is this still something we should be looking at? Uh huh. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny because I, I feel like like Eric was way ahead of where we were, and it was one of those things that nobody was quite ready for it. Yeah. And now we start to realize, oh, that's what he was talking <laughs> about. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because yeah. we we couldn't do some of these things twenty years ago. You know, you think about breaking your application up into a bunch of deployable units. That was really hard when you had an app server and it was running on a physical server in your data center. And the fact mm -hmm. that right now, thanks to containerization, thanks to, to what we have with, with cloud computing on-premises, et cetera, well, I, I can actually spin up multiple instances. And you know, as for a long time, you, know, you, you and I would have solved performance problems by vertically scaling. We would have just thrown bigger hardware at the problem. And we've kind of yep. maxed that out. We've maxed that out, frankly, for quite a while now. And so yep. we really got to scale horizontally. And you're better mm -hmm. off with more smaller things to accomplish these tasks. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that plays into this in a pretty big way, Dan, that we have reached some of the limits of what we can do and and this is a new way of solving these problems you know given some of these these new capabilities um you know but again this is something that we just didn't have at our disposal before and and now we do and so now we're figuring out how to, how to do it cool so i think the the first thing this guide really goes into is try to trying to put a definition on what a microservice is um, there have been many definitions of microservices as uh, developers are touting them as miracle cures. So, what? Um, so, so we have some information on here on what we want to call a microservice. So, this, this does, does this kind of stem from? I know you mentioned it in here. Um, service or service oriented architectures. I hear a lot of people say, "Well, microservices are just SOAs." Um, so it done right. I've, I've heard that thrown around before. <laughs> so it yeah. done right. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, how would you kind of define a microservice? So to me, it, it this is one of those in the eye of the beholder things. You know, as yep. my old boss, Andrew Clay Schaefer, likes to say, who wants to argue with me about made up words? These are <laughs> all made up. And, and you know, you these lines are, are blurry. You know, and the, the, especially now with some of the things we can do with with turning a container down to zero, the the line between what we talk about with a microservice or an app instance is even starting to blur what we mean by a function. And, yeah. and some of the advantages yeah. there are, are starting to get really hard to, to decipher, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it just makes our job a bit more challenging. Yeah. You know, to me, it's something that's that's small, independently deployable, can change at its own rate, the kind of thing that a developer can load into their brain. You, know, yeah. you look at how big software has gotten. The human mind has not kept up. And so we keep coming up with new ways of, of sharding the problem of breaking it down. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, Ken Beck has talked a bit about this where, you know, we have to try to decompose these problems. And so that's where I think microservices are trying to play is to say, okay, we, we know you can't load 185,000 lines into your brain, but maybe <laughs> you can load 3,000 and, right. and it, it solves this problem. 
you know, and so I think that's really what we're striving for here. But again, a lot of that for me gets into those principles that we talk about with should it even be a microservice? And so like, yes. if you don't need some of the things, then, you know, the microservice really isn't buying you anything. Um, but I will say it is nice to have a lower surface area. And when you have less to yeah. get your head wrapped around, that's a pretty big win. You know, yeah. I, I've worked on multi-million line code bases. It's not a lot of fun and you know, it's no. really challenging and, and you really, you, you cannot learn all of it. You cannot know all of it. You you can mm. know this little piece and then you learn this little piece and maybe you can start to string some stuff together, but you know, good luck. It's hard. Yep. And again, I know you said it a few times, but I think before we get into like what should be a microservice, microservices should be independently deployable, independently scalable and free to evolve at different rates. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important as we talk about what should be a microservice. So you kind of go in here and to talk about some of the different characteristics of trying to, to pin. I know Mark and uh, Neil kind of talk about illities. So mm -hmm. if you're going through and you can define some of these illities on your on your service uh, or your application, then then it might be something that you want to take a look at pulling out. So there's a really great list here. We're not going to go through every single one of these, but um, I really like the idea of like trying to identify some of these. And I think one of the at least for me, one of the um, common themes that I've seen in monoliths that wanted to be kind of separated out is um, obviously scalability is a big one. I have a portion of my application that needs to scale way more than the rest of my application. Um, if that's something that you're coming across, then yeah, maybe that's something that should be pulled out into it, its own microservice. Yep. And I think, I think, and I'm, I'm asking you, I want you, you to correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think that when people hear microservices, they kind of get scared too, because it's like, oh, I got to break down my monolithic app into 27 different services. And that's not always the case. We've identified right. one piece of the code right. that needs to scale more than the others. That thing could be a microservice. We could leave the rest of the app yep. intact if we need to. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not an all or nothing proposition by any stretch. Right. And, you know, one of the other things that Jakob and I've talked a lot about is, you can also use microservices to solve certain requirements that are more challenging to do writ large. So PCI compliance is a great example yeah. of that. If you're dealing with credit card information, trying to make your entire app PCI compliant, that's a big <laughs> lift. But yeah. if you pull apart just the chunk that's dealing with credit cards and that's its own standalone microservice or service-based thing, right? guess what? That's the only part that now has to be PCI compliant. And that's probably yeah. going to be a lot simpler than retrofitting yes. that into your entire app. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, and the other part of this is really uh, one of the things that I've seen in the past is the independently deployable piece of it. So if you have different teams working on focused areas of the app and they want to evolve at a different rate of change than other pieces of the application, this really comes in. Um, one of the things that I've seen a lot, especially in modern you know, front-end development, is we've bundled the front-end with the back-end. Now, every time yeah. that we want to change the front-end, we've got to recompile and redeploy the entire code base, right? That's an easy, again, may not be a microservice in the sense, but hey, I've identified something in my application that needs to be independently deployable so that we can change it uh, at yep. a rate that's different than the other parts of the app. 
pull that out and make that its own service, if you will. Right. Um, and that really applies across the board. And, and as you get into some larger organizations, maybe that makes a lot more sense. Yep. Cool. So those are some really good things as to what should be a microservice. So um, we've identified some of the things that should be a microservice. The other thing I like that is we get into identifying bounded contexts. Um, what is a bounded context? So within a lot of domains, there are concepts that mean one thing in one part of the company, but something very different in another part of the company. You know, so I spent a lot of my career in insurance. And you think on the surface that policy is policy is policy, except it's not. A policy for the billing department is very different than a policy for the claims department is very different than a policy for the underwriters. And even with the, in the underwriting position, a personal lines policy doesn't look anything like a fleet policy for a trucking firm or right. a, a policy for a Hollywood film, for instance. You know, there's a ton of variability across that concept of policy. And so any place that within that domain where will we say this word, but it doesn't mean the same thing as it does for you, that becomes a bounded context. And so within this space, we say policy, it means this. Over right. here, policy means that. And that's okay. So we, within those domains, we, we talk about it that way. And then we have to figure out how to talk to each other. And that's where it can get interesting because you may have attributes of policy that I don't have and vice versa. And so we need to figure right. out how to harmonize that. But that's where that sort of connector layer, adapter layer, or whatever you want to call it, comes into play to say, okay, this is how we translate between what you mean by this and what I mean by that. Great. Cool. And then you even mentioned in here event storming. So this is uh, a really great and collaborative technique used to kind of discover those bounded contexts. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we've done this in prior organization and it actually works out really well. So yeah, agreed. Cool. So kind of next steps. Um, you say here there's a fair amount of art involved when you decompose a monolith into um, yep. there is a, there is no magic formula. So there's mm -hmm. no there's no Googling. You can't can't Google this. You can't ask ChatGPT to take your monolith and just spit out some microservice code. Although that may happen at one at some point. I mean, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not putting it but past it's not, it. It's not happening today. So you but you know what? Your lawyers this. your lawyers might have some real serious concerns about you pasting in thousands of lines of proprietary <laughs> code into a generative AI. I'm just oh, saying. They, they will. They will. <laughs> um, yeah, just just like wait until the generative AI knows something about some pricing algorithm that they're not <laughs> supposed to. And yeah, there's some developers are going to have some some challenging conversations with the legal team. Let's just say. Yeah, that. for sure. Um, I like I just like how you close this, though. Um, hopefully this article gives you some tips and a place to start on your journey. Refactoring takes time. Be patient. Your portfolio wasn't built in a day and won't move everything to the cloud in a week. Move nope. what makes sense. Prioritize. And that can be a ruthlessly pragmatic. Good luck. So cool. So um, we've been sharing this on screen for everybody uh, listening to us on the podcast. I will leave a link to this in the show notes. Uh, just a really great kind of breakdown as to how to break down a monolith into a microservice. So this isn't very spring specific. This is more general. And a lot of the stuff we kind of talk about is high level here at not very spring specific. But once you understand this, uh, you can go in and use the tools kind of spring has given you to to build these out. So cool. I think that is all I wanted to talk about there. 
Um, do we have any other questions in here? Um, Peter Ted says, I worked many years in the insurance yeah. software too. Do we care about the cost of the policy for billing or its coverage exactly. for paying claims? Yes. Exactly. Um, I do have a question here. I have a question. I currently use Spring Security or use a security filter for setting my security context. I know normally I would use a custom authentication manager, but why my custom filter works? I'm not sure, Thomas, um, go ahead and send me an email with your um, issue there. Um, whenever I have very complex Spring Security questions, I do what anybody who has access to the Spring Security team does yes. and ask them. Yes. So, mm -hmm. so maybe I can uh, get involved and help you understand what's going on there. Cool. Um, another question: What's PCI compliance? <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I don't remember what it stands for off the top. I yeah, neither do I. With credit cards, and if if you keep store use credit card information, at least in the U.S., you're required to follow the regulations, and, and I, I think it's auditable and everything to make sure that you're yep. doing it safely. Don't store credit cards in plain text in a database mm -hmm. oh, with mm -hmm. fifty-seven thousand other things. <laughs> Bad idea. Cool. Thomas says, what's your email? You could uh, go ahead and find me on Twitter at the real Dan Vega. You could DM me there or Dan Vega at uh, gmail.com. You can send it there. Um, here's a good question. How much data should a single endpoint in a microservice return? For example, should an endpoint from service A return data from service B? I think another way to phrase this question that we often see it phrased as is how large should a microservice be? As, as small as possible and no smaller, as you know, large as it needs to be and no larger. You know, this this is very much it depends scenario, right? Yeah. And there are definitely cases where the right thing to do, the pragmatic thing to do is yes, A is going to uh, facade over the fact that it's also calling B and it's going to take care of that for you. You know, it depends on how yep. it's being consumed, you know, how much data is coming back. I, I mean, again, it, it just depends entirely on how that's, that's going to be utilized and consumed. Yep. Yeah. It, it does really depend. And, and there are, are chapters in books written on like how big should my microservice be? Again, it really depends. So yeah, Sam put out a great video during the pandemic where he made the point that they'll get smaller as you do more of them, because you'll have the muscle memory, you'll have the techniques yep. and things that you would have thought before. I'll never put something this small into production. You're like, oh yeah, of course we will. Boom, done. So <laughs> it gets it, easier over time and they tend to get smaller over time. Yep. And, uh, you know, with smaller comes complexity because again, mm -hmm. the more you've breaking down an application. You gotta weave it together. It, you gotta, yeah, something's gotta talk to something. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, uh, what is this? If you're using GraphQL, you might have a lot of data. I think it's a lot of data. A lot of data. Lot yeah. Of data. Uh, yeah, that's true. It could be true. But again, just depends on what, what that service. So yeah, you could have a microservice that has a GraphQL API that in turn talks to a whole bunch of other services to pull the data back. Um, but yeah, I could see that. How could I start to figure out a performance issue? I have a request that needs seven seconds on production. That takes seven seconds, maybe? So that's, think, that's, that's a weighted question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, that would be my it depends shirt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, mm-hmm. That's usually, probably a future show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I would say you'd have to figure out all the touch points of that application. Um, if there's a database involved, I always start there. Um, usually, database is one of the bottlenecks in there. And again, it's it's not poorly written or anything. There's there could just be something not indexed, or mm-hmm. you know, um, I always start there. But uh, try to break down that actual request and all the components in that request. And to with anything, when it comes to performance, you need some visibility into that request. So logging, tracing, metrics, being able to tell you exactly what each one of those steps are taking. And now you can find a bottleneck. And then once you find the bottleneck, you can kind of analyze it from there. So uh, without knowing any more than that, uh, I would say that. It looks like Glenn must be highly caffeinated at this point because he, he says he's <laughs> taking a chug of coffee every time he hears us say it depends. So, you know, that, that is a great uh, game to play, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but not on this show unless you mm-hmm. like coffee. <laughs> not on my show either. You don't want to hear me talking because I'll say it depends a lot. Yep. How long, not centuries, do you guys recommend Java devs do development work? Um, I, so for me, it's it's whatever you love to do. Uh, yeah, I know plenty of developers who uh, have done nothing more than write code their entire career. Mm-hmm. Some developers get in and need a change right away and get into management. Some do it for twenty years and get into architecture. Some get into architecture yep. right away. It really depends on what your interests are. Mm-hmm. If your interests are writing code, don't become a manager because you nope. won't be writing code. So you won't like it. I would say follow the path and and what really excites you and that will that may change over time you, for 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 me that that has changed over time uh, um yeah so i my my recommendation would be kind of stick with what you enjoy doing um okay i think that's where we're going to end it today we okay. kind of went a little bit over nate the great judah i really appreciate you stepping in oh. And My taking pleasure. over for Deshaun. Um, that was a great episode. Just keeping We're, the chair warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we will, we will be together in KC in Kansas City for KCDC. So if you're going to be around, then find us. Find us. I don't know if we're sneak in any golf there, but we will That'll sneak in tough. some barbecue. Yes, so we that will. will be fun. Uh, join us for some barbecue there. We are going to be in Vegas together. Uh, presenting on spring recipes you can find us golfing there uh, well as well as many other activities it's going to be a fun week there so mm-hmm. um nate i appreciate it where can they get more information about you and all of the things you are up to well you can follow me on the twitters if you're still in that part of the world i do try to keep people abreast there i, I sadly have not updated my website in a very long time i really do need to get around to that but i i, I hang out here on the old streaming spot most mondays try to do something with with somebody such as yourself you've been on the show glenn's been on the show i've been on a bit of a spring committer kick here the last last nice. few episodes so that's been yeah kind of fun, but i just just hang out and chat and get to know people beyond just technology so that's that's cool been a lot of fun cool well we will i will try to get all the links that we've talked about in the show as well of all of the places that you can find nate into the show notes so go ahead and check those out Again, if you're on the podcast or even here on the live stream, if you want to find those, you can head over to springofficehours.io. That will take you to the Office Hours landing page. From there, you can go ahead and ask a question. If you, want to, if you don't want to join us live and you want to ask a question there, 
you can do that and we'll get to those questions in a future episode as well as view past episodes and if you go ahead and click on one of those episodes you can get the show notes for those episodes uh so with that i will leave you thank you again nate we will see you next week on spring office hours and i hope you have a good one cheers